Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019, 2021, and 2022 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios on the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411. I am your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health. In fourth four, Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective. Today, uh, Daniel Geller, our student producer, and I are going to have a conversation with Dr. Rajiv Vyas. Dr. Vyas is a psychiatrist at Capital Health, and we welcome to the Health 411 program. Welcome, Dr. Vyas. Well, um, thank you, Dr. Karp. Uh, um, welcome. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure to, to have you. And, now, uh, Dr. Vyas, you are a psychiatrist, and we are, as we said, a campus radio show. Um, what, what directed you? What was your path to psychiatry? Did you always know you wanted to be a psychiatrist? Did you find it when you were in medical school? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now? Well, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Karp, you know, uh, some paths we take, I think, by intention and some by coincidence. And I think, um, you know, uh, I took the path of becoming a physician by intention. I remember even as early as when I was five years old wanting to become a doctor. And uh, that that kind of uh, uh, determination kind of grew over the years. And I remember actually... I think I was uh, probably a junior in, in high school when I thought to myself, you know, I really want to help people in uh, far from places of the globe uh, who are, don't have uh, medical care. And really, I was inspired by Albert Schweitzer, who you might be familiar with, was kind of uh, the African jungle doctor. And, mm-hmm. um, and then he provided uh, medical care to uh, different tribes in Africa. And I was really inspired by that. And, you know, I fancied myself uh, doing something like that. Um, but, uh, but what happened in, in college was that I took um, a course in abnormal psychology. And that course uh, really fascinated me. I, I felt like uh, this was material that I could read over and over again and, and try to understand better. And like no other course that I actually had in college, um, you know, strangely enough, I was actually ended up uh, majoring in chemistry. Um, and in, in many ways, I think I, I wish I had uh, majored in actually psychology. I think, it, you know, um, when I was growing up, it was one of those things where, you know, r- uh, real scientists and real serious students like didn't major in psychology. And and, and I think that's, that's, I saw I, I majored in chemistry anyway. Yes. So, 
I, I'm uh, smiling because that that, that, that hasn't and, that hasn't changed um, very much. And then, <laughs> yes, I, I guess you're right. You're, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, I was thinking I was going to be pre-med, and and uh, uh, schools would look at it like you know he's taking fluff courses. Um, uh, so that's why I didn't take psychology. But you know what then uh, really uh, happened afterwards in terms of after college, um, um, going to medical school, I, I still held on to this idea that I wanted to be this, this doctor, this primary care kind of family medicine kind of doctor. And so I did pursue a number of things, uh, rotations when I was in medical school um, uh, in, in that regard. Um, but actually, it's not until I went into my psych rotation. Typically, medical students take a six-week rotation in psychiatry uh, during their medical school. That uh, that I found that I was kind of uh, um, really everything was going very smoothly. I found interviewing the patients very enjoyable, um, and uh, and you know the supervisors, professors were giving. Uh, very good positive feedback, which uh, was was something I had not, uh, you know, I had done well enough in the other rotations to uh, to kind of uh, move on. But this was the first time that I really felt like uh, that I was um, uh, in, you know, friendly waters in terms of uh, uh, what I was doing. Yeah. So, so you found a good fit. And that's important for students who are listening is you don't always have to be you know, doggedly focused on one goal, you can often approach even medical school with an open mind and you're finding out, I'm just going to figure out what, you know, what's a good fit for me, what, what sort of clicks with me. And um, Dr. Vias found that. Um, and then after, after medical school, when you decided that, you, you had to do uh, the psychiatry path that probably includes, uh, well, I mean, so did you seek out going to um, third world nations or do any training like that that was part of your original uh, impetus? Well, you know what, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, Dr. Karp, I, I guess that, you know, if you look back on, you know, when you look back on one's life, you know, you think, what are the things that you wish you had done and you hadn't, hadn't done? And so I did not pursue that. Oh, and oh, I, okay. I think I pursued a uh, a more traditional kind of a path. Okay. Uh, I, I apologize for that. I thought you. I thought you were setting to... us up for something there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I apologize. For that. So, um, well, that's that's all good. But um, how did you land at Capital Health Medical Center? Well, um, uh, you know, I've done a, you know I've done a number of things before, and um, I, I, you know, this being at Capital Health has been one of the most rewarding experiences uh, of my career. And, you know, I've done things in inpatient psychiatry in the hospital. I've done outpatient. I've done even things uh, uh, working in a forensic uh, kind of correctional setting. Uh, um, you know, I've worked in state hospitals. I've uh, actually uh, also, um, you know, uh, worked in kind of um, rehab kinds of places, uh, kind of detox kind of a thing. And so, uh, a number of different uh, places, but uh, I I have to admit I think that I'm happiest in my uh, my current position because I get to see um, so many people that I can help, and especially we have a terrific team 
that we work with here at Capital Health. So now, at Capital Health, do you have a a specialty within the system? And in the field of psychiatry, is is the idea that people have specialties within that field sort of typical? Yeah, I think uh, you know there are two broad categories. There are uh, child and adolescent psychiatrists, and then uh, adult psychiatrists, and so. Uh, you know, I'm an adult psychiatrist. I see people that are age 16 and over. And, uh, but there are people who subspecialize in psychiatry. Some, uh, for example, uh, go into uh, kind of addiction, uh, uh, psychiatry or addiction medicine. Some go, uh, for example, into uh, what we call consultation liaison kind of thing, working in a hospital. Let's say, you know, you come in the hospital and, and have a, a you know, uh, somebody has a, a, a heart attack, et cetera, they get depressed afterwards, uh, then they may be consulted to see a psychiatrist. So some people uh, do things like that. And some people do things for organizations, et cetera. So there are many different ways that you can take the, take the actually the education and degree. Excellent. So within capital health, um, is there, is there, is, with the adult population, would, would you see, uh, a wide variety of patients or is it very uh, you, is it more specific kind of patient that, or are you like a, is there are you like the triage psychiatrist who then i'm trying to figure out how well someone in the hospital gets to meet you exactly okay. so um so i just want to clarify is that you know uh, we have psychiatrists throughout the system in capital health and capital health has a couple of hospitals uh, and also has a bunch of different clinics out there. A lot of primary care clinics and other kind of clinics that uh, have then specialty kinds of uh, care. And um, um, so I'm actually in the outpatient setting. So I actually see people in the office, okay. um, you know, like you would any other specialist. Uh, okay. So that's how people come to us. And people come to us in many different ways, referred by primary care doctors, uh, uh, saying, you know, here's a person that uh, is, is one of my patients not doing so well. I've tried what I can in terms of helping them with their, uh, you know, mental health issues, but need somebody more expert in, in, in handling that. We get, uh, you know, referrals from people in the community, uh, from different programs in the community. Um, the individuals suffer for themselves. They, they see us, they say, oh, they're looking up a psychiatrist and they'll look up Capital Health and saying, you know, um, that's that's another way. And from other specialties, um, you know, for example, we may have an endocrinologist that may refer to us because this person is is uh, now experiencing, you know, significant anxiety related to some of their um, uh, thyroid disorder or something like that. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Vias. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break from this first sort of introductory segment. Um, and I'm going to ask you some more specific questions about psychiatry. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to ask them. Please don't identify any special patients. <laughs> we want to keep this sort of general in that way. Uh, but we'll be right back after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077 TheBronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411. 
Underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronkcom We are recording from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, and we are having a conversation about psychiatry with Dr. Rajiv Vyas. Dr. Vyas is a MD at Capital Health. And in the previous segment, we heard a little bit about Dr. Vyas's background and in psychiatry. Um, and in, the, in this next segment, I, I'm going to ask Dr. Vyas, um, in psychiatry, or in psychology at least, there are different schools of thought that it sort of inform psychiatry. As a psychiatrist, is there a school of thought that, that you consider yourself a, um, a member of? in terms of approach to patients and approach, um, approach you know, to psychiatry? I, sure, exactly, yes. Well, I think, you know, um, uh, certainly as a psychiatrist, let me just clarify, you know, this is a question that I get uh, often, it's surprising, but it is a question that I get from a lot of patients. They said, you know, doc, you know, I, I've come to see you, but I get, you know, like the psychiatrist and psychologist all confused, you know, what, what's the difference, right? So the thing is that, you know, I think, uh, I think many in the audience know that the psychiatrist is a, is, is a physician who's went, uh, gone on to additional uh, specialized training in kind of uh, mental health and mental health disorders. So, and psychologists, uh, um, you know, often are individuals that have master's or doctorate degrees uh, and uh, typically are not ones that are uh, prescribing medications in psychiatrists. Uh, uh, as physicians prescribe medications. We also have nurse practitioners who, uh, who do that. Um, so as far as, you know, in, in the field of psychiatry, uh, um, uh, you know, people traditionally, you know, we think of somebody like Sigmund Freud, you know, uh, who started basically the kind of the psychoanalytic school uh, of thinking. And although that's not currently used very much, um, you know, uh, some of the common things, uh, common other kind of schools are, are such as individuals that uh, kind of do cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, dialectical behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and, and, you know, for example, group therapy, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, person-centered kind of therapy. Correct. So there are many different ways and uh, that you can approach a person, but I think many of us actually are more eclectic. Although we have a certain training, we may have been influenced by certain things. I actually was, had very, uh, I think, excellent training in terms of uh, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic training. Uh, and so that is kind of uh, um, where my roots come from. But along the way, I've actually, uh, you know, did additional training in cognitive behavioral therapy. So I feel very comfortable talking to our mm -hmm. patients in, in that language, um, you know, uh, and there's so many disorders that can be helped using that kind of an approach. Yeah. And so what I was trying to pry out of you, and you sort of touched upon it, is in psychiatry, the sort of the balance between the different schools of talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy is one of them that's very popular right now, and the balance with that with drugs and traditional medicines. Um, how do you view that? And what's your approach? Well, I yes, yes, my approach is a is a, uh, is a holistic approach, and 
in, in a true sense. Uh, actually, there was a, a period of time when I actually did uh, mainly uh, psychotherapy and uh, uh, less kind of medications uh, and um, uh, was very involved in, in some of the kind of alternative medicine kinds of things. So, uh, but um, uh, my feeling is that uh, use what works uh, and use whatever is needed to really help the person go to the next level and to, to help them. And so I don't take a, uh, I don't take a philosophical view in terms of what is uh, necessarily better, uh, but what is better for that individual? So the thing is, many individuals that have more severe disorders, let's say, let's just take something like depression. You know, depression comes in all kinds of uh, severity. You can have mild depression, uh, moderate, severe depression, a crippling depression. Uh, so the thing is that, you know, if you have a mild depression, often talk therapy may be the first go-to uh, in trying to help that individual. In, uh, and especially if they've had some, uh, uh, you know, recent stressors or something, life change, et cetera, that might have brought on that depression. But we find that, uh, that when it comes to more severe depression, uh, that medications are uh, often needed. And in fact, uh, without medications, the person may not do as well as if they were, uh, if they were just engaged, let's say, in talk therapy. Yeah. Now, do you always know what's going to work? Hmm. You know, the thing is that, um, you know, from uh, one of the things that uh, is really uh, in a very crucial role of a psychiatrist is to make a definitive diagnosis. So that's one of the things that we have a great deal of training in, is how to make a diagnosis. Because it's from the diagnosis that we know what the treatment should be. And you know what we rely on is evidence-based treatment. Uh, you know, what research has shown works. Um, and um, so when I see an individual, and let's, let's go back to that individual with depression, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, uh, if that individual is ending up having, let's say, a mild depression where, uh, and I can see some definitely identifiable stressors or things that they that have led them to depression, uh, especially even if if it's uh, things that have happened many years ago, they might have uh, experienced some trauma in the past. Um, I might uh, uh, actually say to them, look, you know. Uh, I, I think this is what you have. I think you don't need medication. Uh, you know, I'm gonna. We have some referral sources for therapists. We have therapists in our in our practice. Um, you know, I myself do therapists at uh, therapy. Uh, this is, I think, what we should do. Um, if we find over a period of time that that is not sufficient for me, then we can look at medication. Now, some people will come to me and say, Doctor, look, you know. Uh, I, I want to be on medication because I don't want to. I I don't want to spend weeks in therapy. You know. Uh, you know. I need something to to fix right. me but, now. But and the, are, so aren't there some medicines that, that yeah, this, some medicines you have to take for weeks for them to be effective anyway? Is is that a conversation that you often have with patients? Yes, exactly. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because it's certainly medications are not a quick fix. Um, you know. Uh, in terms of therapy, you know, it may take, uh, 
it may take several weeks, months, et cetera. So we're talking about um, a difference in a medication. Let's say we put a person on, you know, let's say uh, a person were to come in with depression. It may take two to three weeks for us to notice something. It may take up to six weeks to notice something uh, and improvement. But that's kind of the, the time frame we're looking at. So is one of your... So it, the skills of diagnosis are very, very important, especially in, in psychiatry, where it's not like surgery where you can just take something out and you go, ha ha, the tumor's gone. Um, so is part of the diagnostic skill uh, looking at the patient, not just in terms of the severity of depression, but looking at how hard is this patient willing to work in their own treatment? Is that something that a psychiatrist evaluates? Um, Yes. Uh, and some people will just by their indication of saying, oh, doc, I want to be on medication. I know that they're not they're they're probably not uh, going to be really invested in, in taking several weeks or uh, some months uh, to address, you know, um, their depression, for example. So, um, yes, some people are, are not motivated at all into making that kind of commitment. And, and some people have said to me, well, doc, you know, I tried that years ago and, you know, it really didn't help me. So I, I just don't even talk to me about going to see a therapist, even though I'm trying to tell them that just because you may not have had a good experience with a therapist in the past, doesn't mean that uh, finding somebody else who actually is targeting your symptoms more, or maybe it was the wrong kind of therapy at that time, or it was when you were in different part of your life where they were approaching it a different way. I just, you know, uh, you know, keep an open mind. So mm -hmm. I really uh, always tell patients to keep an open mind regarding therapy. Well, that, that, that last hypothetical patient you described is somebody who came to you and says, look, I know I have some sort of issue, something's going on. Is that the typical patient who visits a psychiatrist who doesn't, or, or is it more typical to have somebody who says, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm totally fine. Right? Why are they sending me here? It, like, what's the typical presentation? Yeah, the typical uh, person is one that they have had some uh, experience, some difficulty, have had difficulty overcoming that, uh, and are saying, you know, uh, I think I need some help. Now we have many individuals who come for help with essentially kind of like an ultimatum from a spouse or a family member <laughs> saying, you're going to get help or else. Right. Right, right. So, you know, uh, so th that prompts some individuals because they've been kind of sitting on some of this stuff for years and, and have not actually come to seek any help, even from a primary care doctor. So uh, we have that. And then when it comes to, uh, uh, for example, minors, we often have uh, really parents basically saying, look, I'm seeing this in my son or daughter. I'm concerned about it. School has flagged it. Etc. Uh, doc, can you help? You know, can yeah, you help? Try her? to figure out what's going on. Um, excellent. Uh, thank you, Dr. Bias. We are going to take a break for some underwriting announcements. We will continue our conversation with Rajiv uh, Bias, a psychiatrist at Capital Health on Health 411. We'll be right back. You are listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health Minds Advancing Medicine. 
1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording Health 411 from the Digital Bronx Studios. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, and I am in the studio today having a conversation with Dr. Rajiv Vyas, a psychiatrist at Capital Health Medical Center. Um, and Dr. Vyas, in the last segment, was telling us um, about some of the what happens, how patients get to meet him, how they present. Um, and the, the, one of the things he said is there's usually some sort of either a family member or an episode that creates um, an introduction to a psychiatrist. Um, and in the hospital setting, uh, you also touched on the idea that sometimes people see psychiatrists because of what's happening in the hospital. And is, so uh, uh, are there some of the similarities or differences in this, the way the patient may, meets you in terms of how you deal with them and what the predicted outcomes might be? Yes, uh, you know, when, when a person goes in the hospital, they're really at, at a critical juncture in their life. Uh, these days, it's very hard to get admitted into a psychiatric hospital. Uh, the insurance companies are very careful in uh, who they admit. You almost have to be, you, basically, you have to be somebody who has, is kind of uh, what they call a danger to themselves or others kind of a scenario where they're suicidal or they're having some uh, violent fantasies or they may be, uh, you know, acting in, or maybe very psychotic. So those are the kinds of things that end up uh, land a person in the hospital. Uh, sometimes it's a severe depression. It's not reached the level where they're having suicidal thoughts, but uh, they they may not be taking care of themselves. They've actually now uh, just sitting at home, just in a corner, maybe even uh, you know not eating, not uh, bathing, etc. They're kind of uh, in that kind of what we call an anhedonic state. Uh, so those kind of individuals now end up in a hospital. Now there's another route where you can end up getting consultation from psychiatry in a hospital. And I, uh, I mentioned that earlier is that if you come in for some other kind of medical condition, and then when you're in for another medical condition, they notice one of two things. One is that, oh, this person came in uh, because they had chest pain and now we're working them up and they may have a heart attack. Um, and, uh, and we notice that they also have a history of uh, of depression or, or bipolar disorder or some kind of schizophrenia or whatever. And so the thing is that the, the cardiologist is not going to treat that. And so they're going to call the psychiatrist on the service uh, to e evaluate that individual, make sure their medications are okay, make sure everything is stable in that way. The other way that they could be called is let's say that they're in for some routine medical procedure or surgery, whatever, they have a downward course in, uh, for example, some people because of after surgery or when they're in the intensive care unit develop a, what we call uh, a certain kind of ICU psychosis, et cetera, or delirium or where they're very confused. And so a psychiatrist is often brought in at that point to manage that person. Yeah. So is, is do you, you mentioned some of the, the other healthcare specialties, um, but uh, cardiology, Cardiologists do more than just like do bypasses and stuff like that. A big part of getting better from that involves the behavior of the patient um, after those kinds of surgeries. Is a psychiatrist part of a team in terms of 
Uh, it's really hard to change behavior, and some of those major healthcare events are sort of, you would hope, wake-up signals that for people do change their behavior. Is a psychiatrist a normal part of that team? Uh, typically, they're not a normal part of that team. Mm -hmm. However, uh, when that person ends up in, let's say, cardiac rehab, mm -hmm. Uh, and let's say uh, either the physiatrist, PT, et cetera, are noticing that this person is not making the kind of progress or effort. They seem resigned. They don't seem to be invested in, 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 in doing any of the, of the rehab. That are, those are flags for them to say, okay, I think it's time to involve a psychiatrist uh, uh, in, in, in with this person. Yeah, and so... In that environment versus a clinical setting, do you, do you sort of go in like with a idea of, um, uh, you know, a, a surgeon, a, a tumor surgeon can go in and remove a tumor. You know, other people can go in and fix a broken bone, like Dan Dan's clavicle. Um, the psychi psychiatry it doesn't have that 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 kind of definitive like outcome. And so when you talk to patients, how do you talk about that with the patients? That it's gonna take longer, there's nothing you can see right away, I can't push a button, you know, have you take this pill and all of a sudden your, like, your issues are gonna magically go away. How does that conversation go? Well, the nice thing, you know, uh, uh, you know Professor, in, in terms of working with individuals now is that the, the, the uh, psychiatry has advanced so much over the years is that we actually, when a person comes in, just like, you know, you would elicit symptoms uh, uh, to, to find out if that person has some kind of uh, gastrointestinal disorder uh, or a cardiac kinds of uh, issues, whatever, we, we are very confident when we see the individual as to how, what kinds of things we're going to talk to them about, uh, how we're going to approach them. Uh, we're going to try to rule out uh, you know, major kind of mental disorders, uh, see if those are present. If they're not, then uh, is this um, something that's a life adjustment kind of a issue? And then how to help that person? And, you know, it may be at that point with that assessment, I can say, you know, um, you know, I do think that, you know, uh, it's your, your anxiety and worry about having another heart attack is really impeding you from, from getting better. And maybe that's why you're so paralyzed by it that you're not really investing uh, in, in, in getting better at this point. And can I help you? And we have a number of ways to help you. You know, uh, do you need to maybe, I, you know, I'm just wondering if, if you uh, might be open to seeing maybe a therapist about this. This is a big, big life adjustment for you. You have kids depending on you. Mm -hmm. You're young. Uh, you know, you're having a heart attack at age 50. You're worried about your job, etc. You know, can somebody, you know, uh, can we... Um, you know, refer you to a, to a therapist. And, and, you know, if I think that this, uh, the, the anxiety is crippling, I might look at some medications. I'd say, you know, let's, you know, would you be open to some medications that might be able to help you? And let's follow you. And I'd like to see you in the clinic maybe in, in about a month or a month or so or two after you're done with the rehab uh, and, and see how you do. Yeah. You're describing something that, um, sort of one could say psychiatrists like yourself um, could be a very kind profession, but yet there are people who fear psychiatrists. Um, what do you say about that? Well, I think that, you know, uh, traditionally, you know, um, 
uh, you know, going back, there are, there are scenarios where uh, the mental health profession has uh, has done a disservice to people. Uh, you know, if you were uh, homeless, uh, couldn't take care of yourself, uh, if you looked a little bit odd, uh, then that was a reason to round you up. And, uh, you know, uh, you could be institutionalized. You could end up in a, in a, in some, some facility and, and, uh, never see the light of day. And, and, you know, these are things that, you know, nobody in the profession is proud of, but these are things that existed, you know, uh, uh, and in history, uh, that, I want to say, in, hopefully in history, you know, it's it, like, and, and that's sort of what I'm getting at is psychiatry ha can ha has and other medical professions have it too a mixed history um and some people are scared to talk to psychiatrists and, and therapists they feel like you know you're getting into their their head a little bit um and i'm just wondering how you how do you talk to people about that hmm. yeah you know i uh you know um the, the way is to build a an, uh, an alliance with that person that person trusts you. You know, I worked for uh, seven, eight years working with homeless individuals in, in Pittsburgh. And uh, these people were very fearful of uh, psychiatrists, mental health profession. Uh, and so we, I would spend weeks just getting to know them. I would, I would be in the homeless shelter with them. They'd be eating their meal. I'd eat the meal with them. You know, they, they would see me as Oh, uh, not as a doctor, not somebody that, you know, could potentially or a psychiatrist, but somebody they, they said, you know, th this person is here to help me. And it would sometimes take months for us to build that alliance. And then finally, we would be able to get help for them. Often it was just a matter of them taking uh, uh, some medication uh, and uh, or getting treatment for a drug or alcohol addiction that they may have. Um so that's how we do that. And you're right. I mean, I think the thing is that at this point, I think uh, patients have a lot of rights now that they didn't have in, 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 in the past. And in fact, the rights are, are uh, patients have, uh, have such considerable rights that sometimes individuals that really need help, we can't give help to them mm -hmm. because the person can absolutely say no. Right. And is it true that some people, even though... I guess the technical term is informed consent for any kind of treatment, um, especially in psychiatry. It, do you meet people who don't have the ability to have informed consent? Yes, and I think uh, we uh, typically people do. It's assumed that the person can um, uh, can give consent, uh, but there are cases certainly where a person is not. If they're in the throes of a mental illness, and they maybe let's say that they're they do have some acute psychosis or their depression is so severe. Some people, you know, uh, are, their depression is so severe uh, that they um, uh, uh, feel that uh, there's no, of course, there's no point in living. So why get any kind of yeah, why try So to help? they're resigned to not doing that. Okay. So some individuals, we do actually have to have the court intervene wow. in trying to get that consent. Yes. Um, doc, Dr. Vias, we're going to come back and we're going to continue this conversation on Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You are listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411 underwritten.
underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077TheBronc.com. We're recording Health 411, the digital Bronx studios. Welcome back. Our conversation today is Dr. Rajiv Vyas, an MD psychiatrist at Capital Health. And we're hearing a little bit about uh, what happens when you meet a psychiatrist, how you bend. Um, but when you meet a psychiatrist, that the psychiatrist um, in the old days, they you know you can go to a doctor and say, "Just fix me, doc." Um, in psychiatry, it's not just up to the doc, is it? There's there are tentacles of the reach of psychiatry that are a little broader than that. Um, can you t- tell us uh, about that, Doctor Bias, please? Yes, you know, it, psychiatry is as a subspecialty of medicine, and like other uh, specialists, we have other uh, people that can assist us uh, and uh, and thereby the, 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 the client and the patient, you know, uh, you know, in, uh, for example, in our practice, we have, you know, uh, nurses, uh, therapists, psychologists, case managers, um, therapists that are there that can, uh, that can be called on uh, to assist that person to fully recover, you know, just before you know, getting on the program just five minutes before this program, you know, one of the nurses uh, sent me a message saying, look, this person is experiencing some symptoms, not really sure what they are. Uh, what do you want to do about it, doctor? And so, the, you know, you know, I, I, you know, asked the nurse to, to that these were unusual enough symptoms that the person should go to the emergency room. And so we can call on that. It, it does happen, for example, when I'm in the office is that you know, I'll have an individual that is in crisis. We feel like they need to be actually uh, evaluated by in a crisis clinic or taken by, uh, you know, uh, for help, maybe possible hospitalization. I can call on our case manager and they're right there and they'll kind of walk that person through that. I remember one person who, who came in for help saying, you know, I really feel like I, I need to be in the hospital. I've been kind of resisting doing this. And the nurse, you know, uh, helped that person, took them down, uh, down to the to, to the the steps, everything. There was somebody there to receive them at the other end. Just helped that person for one hour, just get comfortable. And that person ended up uh, in a hospital and was saying, you know, to to our team says, you know, you saved my life, you know, so. We have that. We have those resources to, to pull. We also have resources from the hospital to pull, uh, and so it's, it really is is very satisfying in 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 that team approach that we have. Yeah, and you have a lot of eyes um, on the patients. So when and I'm going to ask you this question: is when I'm teaching. Um, um, so I teach neurosciencey kind of classes here at Ryder, and sometimes I teach about different kinds of drugs, and we talk about the side effects of, of drugs, and sometimes the side effects can cause psychotic behavior or uh, uh, derealizations or separations from the real world. If you're presented with a patient, um, and students are, are fascinated by this, how do you know if somebody came to you like that patient you described in the hospital, um, how do you know if the patient's brain is generating these behaviors, thoughts, ideations, whatever it is, or they're having these, exhibiting these behaviors because they're on some sort of drug at the time? How does a psychiatrist sort of evaluate that? Right. 
So I guess when you speak of drug, you know, I mean, we can think of two things. One are, are, are prescribed medications and, and those things that are illicit or are, are maybe um, uh, recreational. Taken. Yeah. yeah, recreational mm-hmm. uh, drugs. So, the, you know, things fall into patterns, right? So the thing is that there are certain things that we know, uh, certain symptoms or things that we uh, people experience that may be due to the mental disorder. Right. Uh, and uh, certain things that are more related to possibly side effects from medications or maybe even a recreational drug. And so the thing is that that is part of the, the training in, in being able to kind of tease out. Sometimes we can't tell. Uh, and this is this is the reason that I'm saying I referred this patient to the emergency room, because I honestly could not be sure it was a recent change in the medication that we had done with this individual. And she indicated that she's having some of these, um, some symptoms. Uh, and I could not uh, tease out whether it was due to the medication or whether it was some kind of medical condition that was causing this. So I needed another set of eyes, some tests to be run, et cetera, in the emergency room to make sure that everything was okay. Uh, just because somebody has a mental health disorder doesn't mean that they can't have a physical health disorder. In fact, I think you know, what's often not is misunderstood is that people that have mental health disorders have actually even a, a greater incidence of physical health disorders uh, than individuals without mental health disorders. Yeah, and that, that, that that's, could be a whole other conversation um, about your feelings about one's um, mind and brain not being separate from one's body they're all mm-hmm. you know the way i talk about it is the, the the chapters in the physiology book are lies as if there's a separate chapter but in real life all these things are connected to each other and they, mm-hmm. they do work together and the, the the consequences of psychiatry perhaps more so than other things are evidence of all those things working of, of, of those things working together so you are also a professor correct at rowan Yes, uh, I am, and I'm actually in an adjunct role there. I uh, uh, was doing more work with uh, some of the medical students there in uh, previously, um, uh, and essentially uh, they would do psych rotations and things like that in different uh, uh, places that I was in, and so I would supervise those those individuals that's actually yes. so do you would you i'm at the, on the i'm on the undergraduate side of this when the students get to medical school um and you pointed it out in the beginning when you're talking at your own your own background um most of them don't have um under their uh, under their belt a lot of uh brain and behavior psychology time kinds of courses um do you feel like that the typical medical student who's the biochem biochemistry major chemistry major biology major do those people have an understand do many of them have an understanding of what it takes to be a good psychiatrist i think you know there's um it's you know it's commonly believed among uh uh people who are going uh who are medical students is that, you know, it's like either you're meant to be a surgeon or not meant to be a surgeon. You're meant to be a psychiatrist or not a psychiatrist. So it, the thing is the field is so, so different in so many ways that, uh, uh, that people kind of uh, gravitate one to another uh, pretty early on. But I do think that one of the things that even the American uh, medical Association, the Graduate Medical ed- Education uh, Societies, et cetera, have, have noted is that 
there is not enough um, uh, education on mental health because you know the primary care physician, if they would, if you would ask them, they would say at least about they would say about fifty percent of what they see is mental health related, in terms of the, the disorders that they see in primary care. Yeah, and and I, I've seen statistics like that, and um, it's it's. Uh, I think pain is the number one reason people present to a GP, but the, the, I think the second most reason is, you know, something's not right. And it, it's often hard to describe and hard, and, and hard to figure out. And, um, and, uh, and so I'm glad, I'm glad the psychiatry is still, it, the, the, sword, the sorting process I find fascinating. And uh, medical school is not like the military where they might do some, you know, uh, uh, personality assessment and assign you, you know, you're going to be in a tank, you're going to be in an office, you're like going to be Harry, a Harry Potter, you're going to be a cop. I, I, I find it, I find it reassuring that at least your journey to psychiatry, um, the sorting process sort of works because I'm, I've never met you before for people who are listening to this program. But what um, my read is, is you're a physician with a lot of patients. You, you, you enjoy working um, with the patients, like engaging with them um, as part of a, 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 a partner team approach. And you have a community of people who work with you. Um, is that you can say is, you know, the typical, you mentioned surgeons before, there's a type of the surgeon, the person who wants to be in control, wants to be the boss, likes to cut. And like, do, do you find that in psychiatry, you're a good example of, 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 of the field for people who might be listening? You know, I think absolutely. Uh, I think that if you want to be a, a psychiatrist, uh, you have to be able to give up control rather than have control. Because the thing is that we, you know, uh, you can, there's so much we can't control. Uh, I'm reminded of a patient uh, that uh, it took two years uh, for the family to get them to, to actually come in for the first appointment to see me. And, um, uh, and finally, the person came in, we started them on medication, the patient did so well, family was so pleased saying, you know, you're a miracle worker, well, <laughs> certainly not the case. But the thing is that, you know, properly diagnosing and treating this individual so um, was, um, was doing very well. And then she uh, met a guy. Uh, and the guy she became rem rem uh, romantically involved in a guy who said, look, you don't need to be on any medications. And now, you know, you know, uh, I find that the same person is, is doing much worse and back to square one. So that's the part of giving up control because there's so much you can't control. Yeah. Once that person leaves your office, you give them instructions, whatever, it, until you see them again, you really have no control of that individual. Uh, a surgeon can at least do that operation and and have control right there all throughout that whole 100%, right? Right. We have only control for a small portion of that person's life. Yeah. And we've said on this program many times one of the hardest things to change about people is their behavior um, and what they're thinking about um, and what they do about it. And that's your entire, the entire profession of psychiatry is in a sense um, evaluating that and working with, with what the present the, the patient brings to you. Um, um, Dr. Vias, unfortunately, we are running out of time on this conversation. Um, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us and, and telling us a little bit about your journey and your approach to psychiatry. Um, um, 
Yeah, and if I'm in the hospital, I would enjoy a conversation with you to continue this because I have I have more questions that I, I would like to talk to a psychiatrist about not being a patient, mm -hmm. just to feel because talking to students who are interested in going to medicine. So thank you so much uh, for the conversation. Um, this is 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We're recording from the Digital Bronx Studios. Thank you for listening to L411. This program is part of Capital Health and Rider University efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and health care. We hope today's conversation with Dr. Rajiv Vyas um, has informed you and given you things to think about about the practice of psychiatry. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology.